tonight we're going to be coming out of the book of Acts. We've been walking through the lessons of, of Acts, and my prayer is that you're not viewing these as just these one-off sermons and you leave and you kind of walk through and, and just forget about them afterwards. Hopefully you're reviewing these lessons as we go. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to get there in a minute. But just a review of the lessons that we've learned so far. We've walked through lesson one. God is faithful to fulfill His promises. Then we went into how the Holy Spirit came. And what the Holy Spirit does is He empowers humanity to accomplish the work of God. Lesson three, we learned about how a God-centered community is unified. Ross taught lesson four, and he talked about the message that can stand trial. And last week, we walked through a bold faith will experience suffering. Tonight, we're going to be coming from Acts chapter nine. This is a very familiar passage. If you've ever heard anybody talk about their Damascus Road experience, they are walking through this passage. There's a saying that I often have quoted and I truly believe when it comes it comes I truly believe it when it comes to a person's faith that no one can argue against a changed life. You may disagree with my theology, you may disagree with my faith, you may even think that I'm completely wrong and oblivious. But one thing that you cannot argue with is my, how my life has changed since I met Christ. And tonight, we are going to really figure out and walk through how somebody was transformed. We're going to walk through Saul, who many of you know as Paul, was transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think this is why your personal testimony is, is so important. When you're sharing your faith or when you're walking through your life, do you understand that the way you live your life and the way that you talk about how you met Christ impacts and influences people around you? So if you're sharing the gospel with somebody and, and you walk through and you talk about your encounter with God and how you came to know Christ, but then you are living a life that is not up to the standard of Christ. And I'm not saying that you're perfect, but you know what I mean. If you're living a life that's full of sin and it's blatant sin, you're kind of navigating just all the troubles and issues that you might have in your life. And you're saying, hey, Jesus will change you, but you're not changed. Do you think somebody's going to believe that you've ever been changed? They probably won't believe that you've been changed or they're going to really doubt the veracity of what you believe. And so we just got to really begin to think about this truth that we're going to learn tonight. As Christians, we believe in the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when someone sincerely encounters God, get this, change will take place. Change will take place. If you have experienced God, there is something that will change. Tonight's lesson, the lesson that we're going to learn is this. An encounter with God transforms. An encounter with God transforms. So look in Acts chapter 9. 
And when we look at the moments within the life of the early church, Acts chapter 9 and the salvation and conversion of Paul is one of those hallmark events within the church. When you look at the rest of the New Testament and the landscape of the early church, if you were to take Paul out of it, it would be dramatically different. It's hard to really understand the significance that the Apostle Paul had on the church. For him to navigate in at the end of his life to really say that most of the known earth had heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ by the time he had died through either him or his disciples or churches that he planted, it's an amazing thing. So an encounter with God transforms, and what we're going to look at, we're going to walk through four aspects of God's transformative power. We're hopefully going to understand how God really transforms people and how critical it is to our faith. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, I kind of like language and I like to, I think that one of the most powerful tools that you have that we use very little of is, is the tool of language. How many of you are kind of like me and you have a low vocabulary? You like words that aren't that big because they're simple to read. Y'all remember a few weeks ago when I was writing things? It was bad, wasn't it? Y'all were throwing big words like collaborative at me. I'm like, whatever. I like, I'm, I'm, I'm this idea of like, I like short words that can be understood. And so anytime that I'm trying to teach or preach, I like to make sure that everybody's on the same page. So I know when I use the word transform, most of you are probably going to Transformers. Like, you know, you're thinking in your mind, oh, those are good movies. Oh, I had that toy when I was a kid. And you're thinking, it's really cool to see something transform. Plus, it sounds really cool in surround sound. I like that. So I want to make sure when we're talking about transform that we really understand what's being said. And so if you'll just bear with me, we're going to go a little bit into English class. And hopefully it'll make sense at the end of it. And then we're going to dive into what it means. So... Transform in the way that we're going to be using it tonight is a transitive verb, all right? And you're like, Ben, shut up. Don't even start using those words. Bear with me, all right? A transitive verb is this. It is simply a verb that requires an object to complete the sentence. Transitive verbs are used to show an action or event between a subject and an object. Now, track with me. In this idea, we could simplify this sentence just by saying, God transforms. God is the subject. The verb is transform. And we, being humanity, is the direct object. So when you encounter God, God is directly acting upon you to transform you and to make you different than you were. So here's the awesome thing. The fact that when transformation takes place, it's not on you to do the work. It's on the subject to do the work. And who's the subject that we're talking about tonight? It's God. So an encounter with God transforms. You need to understand that you don't transform anything. You aren't able to change on your own. It's all by the power of God. So what does transform mean? Dictionary is pretty simple. You can go and you can look at it yourself. 
To transform means to change in composition or structure. To change the outward form of appearance of. To change in character or condition. If we were to pick one of these three, which one do you think would best flow for what we're talking about when an encounter with God? Number one, two, or three? I see threes. That's good. It's three. To change in character or condition. If you read Ephesians, it's very clear that when you are in your sin without Christ, you are dead in your trespasses in sin. If you don't believe me, go to Ephesians chapter 2 and just start reading. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. But when you receive Christ, your, your character, your condition changes. You become alive. That's the type of transformation that we're talking about. To see somebody move from death to life spiritually is a miracle and it is transformation that takes place. To transform implies a major change in form, nature, or function. Your nature changed when you received Christ. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Your nature changed when you met Christ. And what we're going to navigate tonight is we're going to look at Paul, Saul, and see his encounter with God and see how the encounters in Acts chapter 9 can be applied to us and hopefully it will bring us to the place where we can ask ourselves a question like this. Have you encountered God in a real way and experienced God's transformative power? I just want to sit on that for just a little bit. I'm going to read that question and I want to make it be silent for about 10 seconds and y'all are going to get real uncomfortable. Have you encountered God in a real way and experienced God's transformative power? Answer that question in your heart, in your mind, on a piece of paper right now. Have you experienced God in a real way and experienced His transformative power? See, last week, what we saw was the beginning of persecution starting to occur in the early church. In Acts chapter 7, we read of Stephen stoning. And he was the first of many martyrs that would die for their faith in Christ. And see, Saul, that's who we're looking at. He enters into the story in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. He says, they cast him out of the city, talking about Stephen, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's our first mention of Saul. Following into Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we see Saul again. It says, And Saul approved of his execution. That's Stephen's execution. And imagine being outside the city walls and watching a man who just eloquently walked through the whole history of the Old Testament being stoned to death. Stone after stone after stone. 
That is not an instantaneous death. It is torture. And listen to what Scripture says about Saul. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great limitation over him. But Saul, listen, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. At the, martyred, at the martyr of Stephen, it was just the beginning of Saul's attack of the church. And in the midst of this, this sets the stage for where we're going to be reading out of tonight. And what we're going to walk through is we're going to see the transformative power of God at work and begin to understand this lesson that we learn that an encounter with God transforms. Before we jump into Acts chapter 9, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the reading of His Word. Father, Lord, I pray now that the words of our heart, the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be pleasing in your sight, our rock, our redeemer. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that as we read your word and we begin to understand that an encounter with God transforms, Lord, I pray that we will begin to see transformation take place in our life. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will have freedom to move and work in this room. In your name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says this, But Paul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked, for, asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to what you will be told what you are to do. Then the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. First aspect of an encounter with God that I want us to see tonight is this, an encounter with God humbles sinners. An encounter with God humbles sinners. If you can imagine the pride with which Saul was navigating in his life right now. He was on cloud nine. He was saying, I have the control and the power over the lives of men and women who are proclaiming Jesus Christ as their Lord, and I am taking them captive in the name of my God, and I am putting them to death, or I am putting them in prison for, because they are wrong. And so he is in the midst of the height of his fame and the height of his pride. And he is walking to the road to Damascus to take the carnage that he was doing in Jerusalem to another place. 
And then on the road to Damascus, a great light shines and he is humbled. The first thing that I want you to see is that he's humbled positionally. And I say this in a, in a unique way. He says, now he went on his way and he approached Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, he fell positionally from standing up in his prideful arrogance to his knees because he did not know what was going on. See, when, when somebody that is walking steep in their sin, when they are walking prideful and they think that they've got it all figured out, when they have a true encounter with God, they begin to realize where they are and they fall to their knees, whether it's physically like he did here or whether it's in your heart, it happened. So the encounter with God humbled him positionally. He began to realize he's not as big a deal as he really thinks he is. And see, as we navigate our own hearts and our own thoughts, you just have to ask yourself, have you ever been humbled to the point where you recognize that you're not as big a deal as you think you are? That's where it had to start with Paul, with Saul. Saul had to recognize that he was not in control. But not only did God humble him positionally, he humbled him physically. How? It goes on to say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rising in the city and where you have told, uh, uh, you will be told what to do. Then the men who were traveling with him stood speechless uh, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Verse 8 says, Saul rose from the ground, and all those his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So the Lord took his sight away from him to further humble him, to get him to the place that no longer does he know what's going on. He's Positionally, he's been humbled. Physically, he's being humbled because he cannot see. Can you imagine taking something that you depend on so much so and it just being ripped out, out away from you? Think about something that you depend on, whether it's your eyesight or some sense or your intelligence or your money, that something is taken away from you that you depend on. What type of humility or humble place does that put you in? Because look, he no longer could walk on his own. What had to happen? His friends had to do what? Lead him. Can you imagine prideful Saul who is going about breathing threats against the church, being put in a place to where somebody has to hold his hand or hold on to his shoulder or drag him or lead him where he needs to go because he can no longer see? So Paul was humbled positionally. He was humbled physically. And I think it's clear from this text that he was humbled emotionally. Look at verse 9. It says, And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. He was sick in that I don't know what to do Everything seems to be taken away from me. I don't have my eyesight. I've had this encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. I'm not even going to eat or drink until something happens. 
See, Paul, Saul was humbled. He was humbled. And this is not the same, this is not the only place in Scripture when we see somebody that has a real encounter with God that it truly humbles them. I I think of Isaiah chapter 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And in verse 5, after he talks about the angels and what they're singing and what they're saying, he said, in the midst of this vision of God, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lip. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was humbled when faced with a vision of God. Fast forward to the New Testament in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 5, Peter has been fishing all night. And Jesus says, hey man, I want you to go and I want you to throw the net on the other side. And like Peter fights back a little bit. He says, I'm a fisherman. We've been fishing all night. We're not going to catch anything. But because you've told me to, I will throw it on the other side. And as soon as they throw it on the other side, there is not enough room in their boat to carry all the fish. And in the moment, he recognized that Jesus is not normal. He is God. And what does Peter do in Luke chapter 5, verse 8? He says, but when, Peter, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on his knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So in the midst of Jesus' presence, he was humbled and he recognized who he truly was. So what we see in Acts chapter 9 is clear. An encounter with God humbles sinners. And so you have to begin to ask yourself in your spiritual life, in your spiritual journey, have you ever been faced with a real encounter with God that has humbled you? Have you been humbled by God? Humbled to the point to where you recognize your sinfulness and need for a Savior. See, when we encounter God in a real way, it will humble sinners. You're not here tonight in a child of God if you have never been humbled to the point to where you've recognized your own sin and you've recognized your need for a Savior. You have to know that you need Jesus before you can ever receive Him. And what Jesus did on the road to Damascus was humble Saul. Have you been humbled to that point? And if not, could tonight be the night where you humble yourself, recognize your need for a Savior, and trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? The encounter that Saul had with Jesus on the road to Damascus was not the only encounter that happened in this passage. See, we see that there's another encounter where Jesus comes to a man, a disciple, a believer, by the name of Ananias, and tells him to do some crazy things. So we see that an encounter with God will humble sinners, but we also see that an encounter with God challenges believers. And this may be where the majority of us in the room are tonight. You're like, Ben, I'm good. I'm not a sinner. Well, you are a sinner. You're just a saved sinner. 
Uh, right? You know, you have to think, you have to remember, you're not perfect yet. You're getting there. Some of you said, I'm pretty close. Right? So, an encounter with God challenges believers. Look what Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 16 says. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Pause right there. Isn't that a great response to God when he says your name? <laughs> Whatever you're, you just picture God saying your name and you say, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man uh, of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay, ha- lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and how he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But in the mit- but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So an encounter with God that Ananias had challenged him. It challenged him in two primary ways. I think the first way is it challenged him to overcome his fear. So I want you to put yourself in Ananias' shoes. This dude has been walking around, Saul has been walking around killing and putting in jail people like him. And it says, He's talking to the Lord, and the Lord says, hey, I want you to go find this guy Saul, and I want you to touch him, I want you to pray for him so that he can regain his sight. And then Ananias automatically says, Lord, I've heard about this guy from a lot of people. He does a lot of bad things to your people in Jerusalem, and he has the authority from the chief priest to do those same bad things to me. And then what does God say? But the Lord said to him, verse 15, but go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry out his name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. What God was challenging Ananias to do was to overcome his fear and to live in faith. And I think that that's key for us. Because one of the the driving factors that I think challenges us as believers is our fear. That many times we, we do not navigate our life out of faith, but we navigate it out of fear. We don't talk to individuals at our workplace. We don't talk to our family members because of fear of rejection or fear of not knowing what to say or or fear of persecution, whatever that might look like in your context. So we are driven and we allow our fear to keep us from living out our faith to the obedience of Christ. And Ananias was put in that position and, and he said that it's amazing to think hey, I want you to go talk to Saul. (laughs) And Saul was the guy that had been killing people just like him. What is it that God is calling you to do that you are saying, yeah, God, I I hear what you're saying, but do you know all that I have to walk through to do this? So what is it in your life that you are fearful to do that God is calling you to do? Think about that. Because I bet some of you are navigating some fear in your lives because you're afraid of what God is asking you to do and you don't want to do it and you start giving God excuses. And what do those excuses revolve around? Some of you, God may be calling you 
to share your faith. Some of you, God may be leading you to leave your job to do something else. Some of you, God may be leading you to step into a relationship that you know will bring him glory, but you're fearful of what that could bring. Hurt, rejection, whatever. See, when God calls us or tells us to do something and we are truly encountering him in the right way, he will help us to overcome our fear. Think about what is holding you back from what God has called you to do and may God give you the power to overcome your fear. Secondly, we see that God also challenges believers to respond with obedience. It's real simple. In verse 17, it says, So Ananias departed and entered the house. In verse 15, the Lord said, Go. Verse 17, it's real. Ananias just departed and entered the house. <laughs> he just went. No more arguing. He did better than Moses, right? You know, if you go back to Exodus chapter 3, Moses gave all these excuses, excuses after excuses after excuses. In fact, God gets a little upset when Moses says, Hey, do what I tell you to do. Ananias only had to be told once, right? But he was obedient. Do you respond to obedience when God calls you to do something that causes you fear or anxiety? I believe when we have a true encounter with God, like Ananias has had, that we will respond to the challenge. We will overcome fear. We will respond in obedience. The third aspect of an encounter with God that I want us to see tonight is this. An encounter with God may result in salvation. Acts chapter 9, verses 18 through 19 says, And immediately something like scales fell from his, Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Acts 22, Paul is giving his testimony and gives us a little bit more detail. In verse 12, it says, And one, Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by Jews, who lived there, came to me, standing by me, to, standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight, and I saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and hear the voice from his mouth. And you will be his witness for, for everyone to him, for, for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. An encounter with God may lead to salvation, may result in salvation. We see that at humble sinners. We see that it's going to challenge believers. And for some of those, those sinners that are humbled, it will lead to salvation. Aren't we glad for the times that an encounter with God leads to salvation? Think about your salvation experience. When did God move on your heart and bless you with salvation? Think about that. See, so many times, guys, we, we just walk through our life and say, yeah, I got saved, I'm good. And we don't think deeply about what salvation means. So what does your salvation mean for you in 2023? It means that Whenever the Lord calls you home, you will spend eternity in His presence. Isn't that awesome to think about? 
And we don't know when it's going to be, but we can walk in confidence knowing because I have salvation that when I die, I do not have to die as those without hope, but I can die knowing that I will be in the presence of God. See, the fact that an encounter with God may bring salvation to some should be enough for us to wholeheartedly sell out for the cause of Christ. Because you, if you really believe what you say you believe about the power of the gospel, would it not be the best news that anybody could ever hear from you? Think about it. Sorry, I got a lot of thoughts going on. If we really believed, if we really believed that to die apart from Christ is to spend eternity separated from God or separated from the love of God in the presence of God's wrath in, in a place called hell, if we really believe that and to die with Christ is to spend eternity in the presence of God, in the fullness of His presence, love, and grace, and mercy, if we really believe that, do we think that it might change the way that we act? It might change the way that we interact with others. So if I believed the truth of the gospel really changes lives, brings people from death to life, would it not be of the utmost importance in every relationship that I have? Because I'm preaching to myself more than I'm preaching to you right now. Like if I met Andrew for the first time and I had never met him before and I begin to build a relationship with him, should I really quickly be able to figure out or be desiring to know whether or not he has a relationship with God? I should, shouldn't I? If we believe that an encounter with God can lead to salvation and the salvation is the presence of God for eternity, do I not want my friends, my, my, my family to know who Christ is? See, man, listen to me. I wholeheartedly believe that if we actually started to act on what we say we believe, this room, this world would be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know and recognize that the world says that there are 2.5 billion Christians on this earth? Guys, if a tenth of those people lived out their faith, the world would be reached within about five years. And the reason why this is like I'm sticking on this point is as I look in your faces and I look in my heart, there's a struggle inside me thinking, God, do I really believe what I say I believe? And if I really believe it, shouldn't it change everything I am? Guys, there is somebody right now as I'm speaking that you're thinking about that you know you need to share with. What's keeping it from you? What's keeping you from sharing with them? 
If you believe what you say you believe, what's keeping you from sharing with them? Because an encounter with God may result in salvation. And that leads us to our fourth aspect of this encounter. It's this. When salvation comes, it provides purpose. When salvation comes, it provides purpose. And I love this. Look at what happens. We find in in Acts 9.15, we find out that God had set apart Saul for his own work. God, for he is a chosen, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and the kings of uh, and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. In Acts 22, it says there, and he said, Go, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the voice from his mouth for you will be a witness for him everywhere. We see that God gives Paul, Saul, a new purpose. He is no longer breathing threats against the church, but he is trying to bring people into the church. Isn't that awesome? He completely transformed who he was. Now listen, it says that he rose and he was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. And then immediately in verse, uh, in that same verse, verse 19, it says, for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. So, so how much teaching did Saul have to go through before he could share the gospel? What's it say? It says immediately, right? After he got his strength back from not eating, it says immediately. Well, Ben, I can't share the gospel. I've not been trained. I'm not as smart as you. That's true. I get that. Um, that's valid. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I'll, I'm laughing at my own joke. It's pretty good. But think about it. It says immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And he has not come here for this purpose to bring them and bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by providing that Jesus was the Christ, by proving that Jesus was the Christ. I love this. He completely flipped. He transformed. Who transformed him? God. Transformed everything about him to where he says, I am no longer persecuting the church, but I am building the church. I am no longer killing Christians, but I am making Christians through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amanda read Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. Who wrote that? Paul wrote that. Somebody that said, I want to kill everybody who proclaims the gospel is now saying, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. That's the transformative work of Jesus Christ. It is the same Paul who wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? A new creature. The old things have what? The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's the guy. This guy that killed Stephen. That was so polite that he held the coats of those that were throwing the stones that was murdering the first Christian martyr. 
is now the guy that says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel that I killed somebody for. That's transformation. See, young adults, you've got to begin to understand that you have been transformed by the power of the gospel. And see, where I think many of you are, you're like Ananias and God is challenging you to do more. You will say here and say, I am a believer. I know that I have salvation. I know that I have been changed. I have been humbled and I profess Christ and God is challenging you. He is challenging you to, to do more than you're doing and whatever reason you are not willing to let it go and give it to God. I'm here to tell you tonight, an encounter with God changes you. It transforms you. Are you going to allow your fear, your hangups, your whatevers to keep you from doing what God's called you to do? See, my prayer for you tonight is that you will no longer live in fear, but that you will live in faith and you will do what God calls you to do. That you will no longer hang on to your pet sin that you have been a part of for, your, for the majority of your life, but you're going to let that sin go. You're going to give it to God and you're going to pursue Him with all of your heart. That's what's, that's what's at stake. If we believe what we say we believe. If we don't believe that God transforms, we can just go home. It's not worth being here. I've got better things to do with my time. You've got better things to do with your time. But if we believe it, it's worth everything. It's worth everything. Everything. Like my career, my ambition, my pride, everything. Have you been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you encountered God in such a way that you've been humbled in such a way that you're willing to be challenged and that you have a new purpose?